so did, did anybody make any New Year's resolutions this year? Um, it's, I always make a few. I mean, it, it happens. You have the standard, eat, eat better, not more, eat better. Um, be healthier, <clears throat> lose some weight, read through the Bible in a year, be smarter with my money. Those are all kind of standard for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some stick, some don't. I heard, I heard something about resolutions, though, this year that was really shocking to me. Listen to this. Anybody know what the average date of resolutions being dumped is? Uh, you don't have to give me an answer. In fairness, I don't know how they qualified this, so you know, this may or may not be accurate. But the guy on the radio said that January the 12th, 12th, is the average date of people giving up on New Year's resolutions. What? January the 12th. 12 days into the year. 12. That's barely double digits. I hoped he was wrong. So I did some searching on the internet, which of course is never wrong. Um, And according to bestlifeonline.com they say the average New Year's resolution lasts until the second Friday of the New Year. Newsflash, this year that's January 10th. The 10th. 10 days into the year. Wow. 10 days of resolve. (laughs) And it dies somewhere in a big old pile of hot fudge cake or something. I don't know. Forget this resolve. Forget this resolution. Now, imagine, imagine the reasoning to let that resolution slip, right? So it's the second Friday of the year. And you're sitting there and you're, you're debating something. You say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to eat that anymore, whatever. And so you're sitting there and you think, well, I did pretty good last weekend, right? You made it one weekend. So, so surely I can just, well, maybe indulge a little this weekend. I can start back after this. And then the starting back never gets started back. Oh, well. The weight's never lost. The food is never denied. The money's freely spent. The Bible reading bogs down somewhere in the Jacob and Esau story. And the rest of the year is not, well, resolute. Goals are reached or not. Life moves on and things either get no better or sometimes they actually get worse. The resolution was really just a, a wish, a dream, with no substance, no hope of fulfillment. Anybody ever been there? Anybody there right now? Everybody's like, crap, I'm, I'm late. I'm, I've lasted longer than I normally do. Yeah, me too. When you see things not come to fruition, when plans fall by the wayside... Well, today we're going to see that pattern in real life as portrayed by Jesus in a parable about dirt. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. So if you would, let's stand again as we hear the word of God proclaimed. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. 
and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then we'll jump to verse 18. Jesus explaining this parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we cast ourselves upon you for the grace that we need to hear receive, understand, and bear fruit because of the seed that's being sown in our lives today. Holy Spirit, do your work. Teach us, instruct us, help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so as is usually best practice, let's set the stage for what we're about to look at here. Uh, We've established over the past couple of weeks that Jesus is speaking in parables in Matthew 13 in order to hide the truths about the kingdom of heaven from some and to reveal that truth to others. He's doing that on purpose, he said. This is in response to the rejection of the religious establishment of the Jews to their Messiah. And we really saw that escalate in Matthew chapters 11 and 12 way back last year. That was last decade, right? So Jesus is painting a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like, particularly in the time after his departure into heaven, after he ascends, which will come after his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, being on earth for 40 days, and then he'll ascend. From that time until he returns again to reign and rule on the earth physically for eternity. So he's revealing a mystery. And we said that mystery means something not formerly seen or known. And he's revealing that mystery and showing what this in-between kingdom will look like. What the kingdom of heaven will look like in that time in between him leaving and him coming again. And some people call this the church age. The time when the church of Jesus, the church which was founded on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the believers in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, that's when the church started and will culminate when the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven becomes fully visible at the final day when the dwelling place of God is with man like he originally intended. That's what we looked at last week. So as we begin this first parable, keep in mind that it is this kingdom, this kingdom of the heavens, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this time frame of the church age in that kingdom that Jesus is describing 
in this parable and the parables that follow. Okay? And how does it begin? That same day, the same day that he left the house where he was teaching and where the religious leaders had accosted him and he said that my true family are those who do the will of the Father, not any, not blood, flesh and blood, but those who do the will of my Father. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. So again, get that picture. Big crowd, Jesus gets in a boat, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. He sits down in the boat, and he's getting ready to teach them, and they're standing waiting for him to teach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Now we said in the message last week that Jesus is going to describe this kingdom of the heavens in very earthy terms, right? And we see that very quickly here in the first of the seven parables. Now at this point, the crowd standing on the shore while Jesus is sitting on the boat, they don't know that he's going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, okay, time for a lesson on the kingdom of heaven. Okay, he, he sits down to teach and they're like, well, let's see what he teaches. So they would not have known in their minds and their hearts as he starts talking about a sower sowing that he's referencing the kingdom of the heavens between his first advent and his second advent. They don't know that. Okay, They don't have that context. We do because we're looking back at it. They would just be thinking that he's teaching them something that they can relate to. Oh, this good teacher, he's done a lot of miracles and he teaches really good. Let's hear what he has to say. It was very common in that land, in that time, for people to sow seed. And they were sowing seed to bring forth a crop. To either live on, subsistence living, they eat what they grew, or maybe to raise enough to possibly sell, to make money, to buy things that they need or possibly that they want. So this was very common. And you can see that Jesus is using this angle here to make people feel like they know what he's talking about. Remember, he's hiding truth from some, And he's revealing it to other people. So he starts this story with a sower went out to sow. Now, I I would guess people standing there going, okay, yeah, yeah, sower, sower. And they get that association in their head. I know about that. And they may have even been looking around them at people sowing seed at that time. It was, again, very common. That's what they did in that area. Uh, They either fished or sowed seed, grew things. So they're sitting there, they're looking, and Jesus is talking about sowers sowing. And they're like, okay, I think we got that. They can look around and see it. Now the question is, how did they sow? What did they sow? What did the sower sow? Where did the sower sow? So so we move on to verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Well, of course, the sower sows what? Seeds. Now watch this. John MacArthur points out that the method for sowing the seed was called, properly, broadcasting. Okay? Now we we think of news and TV and radio when we think about broadcasting. But they would cast the seed broadly. It wasn't generally a very specific dropping one thing down in the dirt type of thing, placing it in a very particular place. It was a matter of having a pouch slung over your shoulder, reaching into the pouch, grabbing a handful of seed, and scattering it, casting it broadly, broadcasting, taking it and yeeting it. Yeet, yeet, yeet. Yeah, I went there. Anyway. Yeet that seed. Yeet. Yeet yet? No. Yeet. Here's some seed. And it went pretty much everywhere that the sower walked, all around them, in front of them, beside them. They would walk on it. 
broadcasting. And not all the land was seed receptive. As the sower sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Now what's that mean? Now, if you'll reach back into Matthew 12, the Pharisees rebuked Jesus because his disciples were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. Okay? Look at that. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Now, it was the path through the field that they were walking on. And that was very common. This type of thing happened all the time. As the sower sowed, some seed indiscriminately falls on the path that would commonly run through people's fields. Most of these uh, fields had paths in them that foot traffic uh, was well-traveled. People walked on it all the time, not just by the person who owned the field, but by whoever needed to get from point A to point B. So there were a lot of paths through these fields. Not like children of the corn, you know, where everybody's hiding in the corn. Why is it always a cornfield? I guess because it's tall. But anyway, <clears throat> so get that, get that picture in your head. Think backcountry, hard, flat, well-worn path going through this field. Now, do you reckon that seeds would find a good home there? No. The seed lands on the path and it just lays there because it's hard. It can't penetrate the ground. And what does he say happens? And the birds came and devoured that seed. Devoured the seed. Devoured them. Birds are like, hey, it's a seed buffet. And they swoop down, eat the seed, lying conveniently on the hard footpath. Okay? So that's the first one. Now look at verses 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root... They withered away. So as the sower is broadcasting, some seed falls on the path. Other seeds fall on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. Now what's that mean? Don't think of a ground with rocks laying in it. That's not what this is. Any good farmer would have cleared off the rocks. There wouldn't be rocks in his field. Think just a thin amount of soil with bedrock underneath it. That's what he's talking about here. Ever be digging something and hit rock? Shoot, you know, you can't. Yeah, and if you're in West Virginia, you have experienced that if you've dug much. <clears throat> so, this is soil with rock underneath it. Jesus says they did not have much soil. Some places in these fields had rock underneath it, and that might have looked like good soil. And the plants need deep soil so they can put down roots for nourishment and stability. So, this seed gets down in the dirt, and a plant pops up. Jesus says, immediately they sprang up. But since there's no depth of soil and a good network of roots couldn't develop, when the sun rose, the plants were scorched, starved for moisture since there's no good roots. And they withered and they died. Happened all the time in Palestine. And so did what happens in verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Now, have you ever seen, and again, in West Virginia, I promise you probably have, you go around in these fields and there's just thorn bushes and brambles everywhere, just thick thickets. That's what, maybe that's why they're called thickets. Never put that together. Anyway, and it's just briars everywhere, you know, um, blackberries or wild roses, something like that, and there's just thorns everywhere. Well, they, they ran into that here too. 
Um, not much growing there except those brambles and thorns. That's all that grows there. Same would be true in first century Palestine. Plenty of fields would have thorny bushes growing in them. And it could actually be a good thing because those thorn bushes would develop this fibrous root system that helped keep the, the, the soil in place. Because it could get real dry and the soil could blow off. Well, if there was a good amount of roots there, it would keep the soil intact. So a lot of times they wouldn't clear these thorns off, they'd keep them there. Because if they uprooted them all, it would ruin their soil. So they, as they're sowing, some of that seed just goes where the thorns are. Problem is, thorny plants are aggressive and are prone to not play nice and share their soil with other plants. So the sower seeds get in the soil and they start growing, but the thorn bushes are bullies. And they take all the moisture and the nutrients from the soil and it kills the young plants that were growing from the seed. The thorns choke them, Jesus says. And the sower knows this. And what's he do? He continues to broadcast seed. Verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. just realized I didn't put my other mic on. I knew I forgot to do something. So finally, victory, right? Out of all this seed sowing, we finally got plants that do fall on good soil, or seed that falls on good soil. The seeds get down in the ground. They produce a plant, and that plant produces grain. Now, it's possible and common. Okay, So this guy's going out, he's got this pouch full of seed, and he's just throwing it everywhere. And indiscriminately, it's falling on all four types of soil. All the other seed that fell on the other grounds just really didn't matter. It was this seed, this ground that the sower was concerned with. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain. And note that, because this is wildly important. It produced grain. Now what do you think the sower was after when he went out of sowing his grain? He wanted grain, right? Grain was the goal, not plants. Grain. Mature plants that produced grain. He knew, this sower did, that not all the seeds that he sowed would end up producing grain. But make no mistake, grain was the goal. And some seed produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, if you don't know, and I didn't, that's a tremendous return. From what I've studied and seen... Looking into this parable, seven to ten times return is expected for a crop. So 160 and even 30 are excellent crop yields. Okay, Jesus, so thanks for the agriculture lesson, right? You know, what's this got to do with anything? What's this got to do with me in the kingdom of heaven? Well, hang on. Verse 9, he says... He who has ears, let him hear. Now this statement, this statement is wildly important as well. Now knowing what we know, and having gone over what we've gone over in the past two weeks, what does this statement mean here? Jesus is speaking in parables in order to make sure that some people understand him and to make sure that some people don't understand him. So, here in the wake of his first parable in this chapter, he calls on his disciples, his people, to pay attention, to listen, to hear what's going on. 
Those who are standing there who really don't understand could hear Jesus say, he who has ears here, let him hear. They could say, well, I got ears. I heard you. But did they? And the answer is no, they did not. They heard words and formed their own conclusions, but they did not hear Jesus at all. And Jesus is communicating this way so that they won't hear him. Keep on hearing, but not hearing, Jesus would say from Isaiah and Matthew 13 earlier on. Jesus is calling his men to pay attention, his people to pay close attention, because what he is saying is important, and it's going to take some purposeful engaging in order to process what's going on here. As a matter of fact, he tells them that they are seeing and hearing things that have been long to be seen and heard for ages. We saw that in our uh, message last week. It was Matthew 13, 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes, he told his disciples, for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And these blessed ears that Jesus is talking to will hear Jesus, but he's going to have to help them. Which is exactly what starts happening in verse 18. Jesus is going to explain this parable specifically to help them hear what he is really saying. So let's go there. Matthew 13, 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. So notice what he says when he first starts explaining what he taught. Hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. Well, hadn't they already heard it? Well, yes, but they hadn't heard it. They had heard the telling, but not the meaning. So in this verse, Jesus is calling them to listen again, this time with understanding that He will give them. And that is key. We talked about that last week. It is Jesus who can give them understanding. It is Him that can help them to hear what needs to be heard. And so He tells them again to hear. And hear what? Hear the parable of the sower. What He had taught in this parable specifically. Now I want to make sure that we see the place of primacy of this parable in Jesus' progression of these seven parables. This is the first of seven. And it's first for a reason. And in showing the importance of this parable... Let's look at Mark 4, 13 through 14, telling this parable. And he said to them, same parable, but Mark's telling it. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. He starts explaining in Mark. So now note that. Don't pass that by too quickly. Before explaining the true meaning in Mark's gospel, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable then you won't be able to understand any of the parables. We talked about this last week when we mentioned the key and the application points last week. Jesus is giving them a key, and from what Mark is saying, not just for this parable, but for what? For all the parables. If you don't understand this one, you won't understand the rest of them. And then he says here in Mark that the sower who is sowing sows what? What is the seed? The seed is the word. The word is God's word, God's gospel, God's kingdom in verbal form, which takes us back to Matthew 13, verse 19. So he's going to explain it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the seed we talked about, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
So Jesus starts by explaining the first type of soil that he mentioned in his parable, the seed that fell on the path. And he says that this is a person, it represents a person who hears the word of the kingdom, and see we are hearing about the kingdom even though he didn't say that to the crowds, and does not understand it. This person's heart, like the soil on the path, is hard. So the seed that is sown the, the word, the very words of God, the words about God, will not penetrate that heart. It'll only lay on top of it. And then what? Well, if you remember the parable, he said the birds came and ate that seed. The birdie buffet, right? Well, here in the explanation, we see that those birds are the evil one. The evil one, the devil, comes and snatches away what has been sown on this hard heart. So let me spell it out a little clearer. Let's fill in the key of the map a little bit. The seed is the word of God, the word about the kingdom. The birds are the evil one. The path soil is a hard-hearted person. So there will be times in the church age, in the intermediate kingdom, when God's word is sown, broadcasted, God's word is shared, and it lands on hard hearts. And that seed, that word, sits there on that hard heart, and the evil one comes and snatches it away. Jesus says, that's going to happen. Okay, so then what? Well, there's more than one soil, right? Verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, no, different rocky. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the rocky soil with not much soil, with a bunch of rock underneath it, This is a person, Jesus says, who hears the word and the word gets into his heart and it's received in that heart with joy. But there's not enough soil, not enough depth for that seed, for that word to take root. And since there's no root, the plant can't be nourished or supported well enough. So this person looks like they're starting to make some progress as a plant in God's field. But then something happens. In the parable, Jesus referred to the sun coming up and scorching that plant. And here in the explanation, the sun is shown to be tribulation or persecution on account of the word. So someone or someones challenge this young plant, this young seed product, and things get hard, challenging, and the plant, the person, immediately falls away. Now, the word for falls away is skandalizo. That's a great Greek word. And it means to disbelieve, to stumble. One definition reads, now this is skandalizo, falling away, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. This person stops believing. He falls away. Now, the question is, was he saved and lost his salvation? We can't make that determination yet. We need to get through two more soils before we can be clear about that. So, verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, the thorny ground is described as one who hears the word, and it would seem that the seed got down into the soil and a plant began to grow. Something's going, something's moving, something's starting. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, now note this, choke the word. And then this clause, and it proves unfruitful. 
Ultimately, the seed that was planted to produce grain does not produce grain. It proves unfruitful. It may have sprouted, but it did not reach maturity and reproduce itself with more fruit, which brings more seed, which brings more fruit, which brings more seed, which brings blah, blah, blah. This person or people start to lose focus and start to get their eyes and hearts centered on the wrong things. Life gets busy. Business is good. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God has taken a back seat. And then it's neglected completely. And no fruit is produced. And remember, that is what the sower is after. The sower isn't after pretty plants that look good for a short or even a long time. He's after a harvest of grain. He's after fruit. And this heart does not produce fruit. It proves to be unfruitful. Like the hard heart and the stony heart, the thorny heart does not produce fruit. So strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out, right? Well, not so fast. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So finally, the good soil. Don't forget about the good soil. Some of the seed was sown on good soil. But now percentage-wise, what percentage of it was sown on good soil? 25%, one out of four. Well, that doesn't look like it's very successful, right? Huh. Some of the seed was sown on good soil. This means, Jesus says, that somebody hears the word and understands it. And man, that's huge. That's key. That's monstrous. It doesn't say the other three understood it. And how are we going to understand what the word is saying? Only by God, only by Christ, only by the Holy Spirit giving us understanding. These people... Fully, truly, completely understand what is being said. They have ears to hear, so they hear. The seed, the word, goes down into their heart, it sprouts up, and then Jesus says, He indeed bears fruit. This is the important part. He indeed bears fruit. And the fruitfulness is in different proportions in different hearing and understanding people. In one, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, in another, thirty. So, yeah, this is not sparse, scarce fruit that you might be able to see if you dig around long enough or move enough foliage. No, this plant, these plants bear bumper crops, and some more than others, 30, 60, 100 times as much as what was sown in their lives. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields a lot of what the sower was after, exponentially more than your average plant. This is the one who hears the word and understands. He who has ears, let him hear. So, then what? What's this mean for us? Well, it means a lot more when taken in context of the whole chapter, but that's for a later time. We'll do that some other time. Today, we need to apply what we've seen and heard and learned. And man, there's a lot here. We could probably have like eight application points, but we'll go with three because that's what we do, right? Three Ps. Perfect, produce, and perseverance. Perfect, produce, and perseverance. Remember those, but remember the point is to apply those, not just know what they say. So the first one is perfect. One thing that this parable shows us is that the perfect kingdom of heaven is going to exist in a not-so-perfect world. 
Jesus didn't make everything right when he came to earth the first time. The word of the kingdom is not always going to win every heart that it sowed upon. The seed on the path was not understood, and the evil one came and snatched it away. Stony ground and thorny ground provided problems of tribulation and persecution, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And those problems made the word to be unfruitful. Now let me ask you a question. Is there a problem with the word? Absolutely not. Listen to this. Psalm 19, 7-11. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant mourned. In keeping them there is great reward. There's no problem with the seed. This is not bad seed that's being sown. That's very important to understand. God's law, God's word is perfect. Only it can revive the soul. James says it this way in James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And we've referenced Romans 1.16-17 a lot. We'll reference it again. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the word of God, the gospel of God, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Listen, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's nothing wrong with the word. So then, why doesn't everywhere the seed gets sown result in people getting saved? Because of the condition of men's hearts. And that is very important. And the condition of those men's hearts is not perfect to say the least. And the sower knows this. The sower's walking through his field and he's not saying, well, we'll only sow on the good ground. Indiscriminately. Sowing, sowing, broadcasting, hard soil, stony soil, thorny soil, good soil, sowing, 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 sowing. Indiscriminately. And the original sower, of course, was Jesus And all those who came after him in his kingdom, spreading his word, are sowers as well. And what is their job? Sow the perfect seed. Notice I did not say sow the perfect seed on the perfect soil. Sow the perfect seed as you're going. Indiscriminately. You should be preaching the gospel everywhere you go. To everybody you come up against. Am I saying that you have to give a full-blown gospel presentation to every single person you speak with? No. But we're not looking for the people who are ready to be saved to preach the gospel to. We preach the gospel to everybody we can preach the gospel to. Now, is it our job to make them fruitful? No. It's God's job. It's God's job to take His perfect gospel that is sown in the hearts of men and make it fruitful. Sow the seed indiscriminately. 
And you're not ever going to have a perfect success rate of seed being sown and those being converted to souls when it's not God's plan. Not everyone you preach the gospel to will be saved. So what should you do? Sow the seed. Preach the gospel. And trust the perfect power of God Almighty to bring about salvation. That's His work, we said last week and many other times. In a passage very much like what we looked at today, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Our perfect work as believers is to sow and or water seed. God's perfect work is to make that seed grow and God's other perfect work is to reward the sowers and the waterers. Jesus would say it this way in a different parable in Mark 4, 26-28. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises at night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. In a not perfect setting... God does His perfect work through imperfect people like you and me. So what's the application point? The application point is preach the perfect gospel. I didn't say preach the gospel perfectly. You're not going to. You're going to mess up. Preach the perfect gospel and expect the perfect power of God to do what only He can do. Don't say, well, I don't know. I don't know that I know enough. Preach the gospel. If you don't know the gospel from sitting here week after week, we're doing something wrong. So perfect. Preach the perfect gospel and expect the perfect power of God to do what only He can do. And then what are we looking for after we preach the perfect gospel and expect God to do His work? We're looking for produce. Second P, produce. The ultimate goal of the sower was to see fruit produced. And let me say this as clearly as I can. Not to... Not to sow fear or discord, but if there is no fruit in someone's life, that means there's no salvation. We saw it on the path, the stony ground, and the thorny ground in the parable today. None of those soils produced fruit. The people depicted in those three soils were not saved. Salvation is only seen in those who heard, understood, and produced 30, 60, or 100-fold fruit. Stop telling me you got saved. Show me fruit. Well, I made a decision. I walked an aisle. I filled out a card. I got baptized. I became a member of the church. Is that fruit? Eh. Eh. Maybe. Can the fruit that we're looking for take time to show? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you're years up the road in your so-called faith journey and your life is no different, you're still hateful, you're hard to be around, your hard heart is choking out any word being sown in your life, and you're not producing the fruit of salvation. So what is the fruit of salvation? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not saved if this is what your life looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let me ask you simply, which list is your life characterized by? And you be brutally honest with yourself. I'm not up here to say, well, you are right. I don't know about you. That's not my place. The deeds of the flesh which ends with, and things like these, they're really easy to spot in people's lives, truthfully. Even the fakers, the ones who have this facade up that look all right, you can see it. Their life is in discord. They're hateful people. They're mean people. And they may walk through this door and smile and sit back there and talk and laugh, but they're mean people. They're not happy people. They're not full of joy. They're full of anger and discord and envy and grumbling and complaining. And if your, mark is, if your life is marked by that, that's the works of the flesh. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. But a life that is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's also easily spotted. It, you can't hide it. Now, am I saying that that's perfect in anybody's life? Absolutely not. No. But you see it in people's life. And you're like, man... That's a very loving person. It's a very kind person. It's a very gentle person. It's a very joyous person. Can't be hidden. If God is not bringing forth that fruit in your life, and it is the fruit of the Spirit, it's a life characterized by those characteristics. If God's not bringing that forth in your life, you should recognize that, and you should beg Him to bring forth that fruit in your life. And I did not say you should try harder to do better. You can't make this fruit happen. You can't do it. It's God's work. And if you don't see God producing these characteristics in your life, listen, please hear me say it. I say it begging you and treating you. You're not saved. Now, do I get in spots in my life where I feel like a jerk and I'm grumpy? Absolutely. Does that mean I'm not saved? No, it means that I'm probably sinful in my thinking or got my eyes off of where my help comes from and I'm operating in the flesh. A Christian can operate in the flesh or in the spirit. An unsaved person can only operate in the flesh. So I'm asking you to evaluate yourself. What is the condition of the soil of your heart this morning? And what is being produced from the seed that's being sown in that soil, in that heart. And if it's not fruit, you might be a pretty plant, but you're not saved. And you're going to fall away, either by persecutions and tribulations or by the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. You're going to fall away and you're not going to produce fruit. So what do we do? What's the application point, right? The most important factor in the one that produces fruit and the one who doesn't is the condition of their hearts. So Joel, the prophet Joel would say in Joel 2, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. 
Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Joel says, rend your heart, not your garments. Don't give me an external show of righteousness. In here, in your heart, dig down and say, God, I am sorry for the life that I've been living. Rend your heart. Return to the Lord. Hosea would say it this way in Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That's in your court. Your heart is in your hands. Repent. Rend your heart. Break up the fallow ground that that is your heart. You know what that means? Evaluate yourself. What in your life, what of you is you? What has got you turned in on yourself and selfishness and the world and the deceitfulness of riches and what are you looking at? What are you thinking about? What are you listening to? And if it's the things of the world, it's never going to produce spiritual fruit. So repent. Change. Do something different. Think differently. Feel differently. You say, I can't help how I feel. Yes, you can. Stir up affections for the things of God. Get in the scriptures. Get around the people of God. Pray. Weep. Oh God, I am so sorry. If you haven't been sorry in your life, you haven't been saved. If you haven't realized that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness, you've never been saved. Because what are you being saved from? Your sins and the wrath of God because of them. You can't be saved without being sorry. And if you're not sorry, I'm alright. Everything's alright. Things going alright. Repent. Break up your fallow ground. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord. For who? For me. For you. For us. You don't have the promise of another heartbeat. None of us do. So now it is time, it is the time to seek the Lord. And you can't point to a time in your life when things were better than they are now. Remember what we read at the beginning of the service? Watch this. This is incredibly pivotal in what we're talking about with fruit. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, He said to His disciples. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that does what? Bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. How do I bear fruit? I abide in Christ. 
How do I abide in Christ? I see that I've been placed in Christ and I just stay right there. In all areas of my life, I rest in Christ. I trust in Christ and I watch Him produce His life through me. That's fruit. And that's what God is glorified by. Not your self-effort. Not your trying harder to do better. But the life of Christ being reproduced in you some 30, some 60 Some a hundredfold. And what's it take? It takes abiding in Him. Abiding in His Word. His Word abiding in you. Fruit being produced. And that fruit remaining. Those are the signs. The true fruit of salvation. And it doesn't come and go. It abides. It remains. Evaluate your life in light of that. Because that's true fruit. It remains as do those who are true believers. Perfect produce and perseverance. Praise God for perseverance. Listen to me. Those who belong to God do not fall away. Period. Those whom God saves make it to glory. And those whom God saves are fruitful in their journey. Some 30 some 60, some 100 fold. Perfect? No. But kept by God after being saved by God. It's God who starts, continues, and brings to completion the work of salvation. You woke up this morning a Christian if you woke up a Christian because God kept you a Christian. And you'll wake up tomorrow a Christian if you're still a Christian tomorrow because God kept you a Christian. And God keeps all those who are His. And they will be Christians tomorrow and the next day and through eternity. Perfectly again? No. But kept by God. And He does not lose any of those who are His. Has God ever lost anything? He said, well, you look at the Israelites. No. He said, not all of those who are Israel are truly Israel but those who are mine are mine. Jesus says this in John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We sung that this morning, right? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. But what about those who mirror the pattern of those on stony ground or thorny ground? Appears they're making progress, but they abandon or or, or they fall away. John tells us this, 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. The apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said... If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They were with us. They were in our midst. And they went out. And what does their going out prove? It proves that they never were of us. Is that a harsh judgment? No, it's just gospel truth. God doesn't lose any who are His. They don't fall away. They went out that it might become plain that they're not of us. If they had been with us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they're not all of us. Don't let people falling away destroy your faith. 
Jesus says in this parable that we looked at today that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen on a regular basis. Three of the four soils, people fell away. One of them, they never even produced a plant. Two produced plants but didn't produce any fruit. And Jesus says that's going to happen in this intermediate kingdom. Not everything's going to go perfectly, but it's all working according to His perfect plan. So don't let somebody, and, and we've seen it, right? We've seen people who we looked up to, who, who we kind of idolized and said, that is the ideal Christian, and they're gone! And it proves that they never were of us. And I don't say that arrogantly, and I'm better than they are. I say it with deep regret and deep sadness. But that's not going to shipwreck my faith in the God who keeps me perfectly. Jesus says in this parable that it's going to happen on a regular basis. But those who belong to God will cross the finish line. Flailing, falling, flopping around all the way, but kept by the very power of God Himself. The perseverance of the saints is a sign of their salvation. It's not this person was a saint and they fell away. No. Can we go out and wander in the far country sometimes? Absolutely. But God's going to bring them back. Kept by the very power of God Himself. Kept in the very hand of God. Classic text to bring this home is Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, fruit among much fruit. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So if you follow that progression, he foreknew them, he predestined, predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son, and if they're predestined, he called them, and if he called them, he justified them, and if he justified them, he has already, past tense, glorified them. When Jesus gets in the boat, you're already home. That's what Herb Hodges used to say. Perseverance. Take heart, saint, you're going to make it. Don't sweat the little stuff. You're going to make it. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. So what's the application point? Rest. Knowing that you're going to persevere if you are truly His. Well, how can I know that? If you abide in Him and you're producing much fruit. How can I abide in Him and produce much fruit? Break up the fallow ground of your heart and sow righteousness into your life and watch what God does. It's His kingdom and He's written the rules and He's showing us up front what it's going to look like. Don't be destroyed by somebody else's lack of faith. Don't be destroyed by your own lack of faith. Come to God with it. We talked here Wednesday. Bring your sins to God. God, I did this specifically and it was sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. The perfect power of God and the perfect gospel of God producing fruit in our lives to the point of perseverance. That's what we see in this parable today. That's the call for Christians in the kingdom of the heavens while we wait for Jesus to come back.
And there's a lot more to these parables, but this is an awfully good introduction. Here's the good news. It's January 19th. I'm still in my Bible reading plan. I didn't fall away on the 10th or the 12th. I've lost six pounds, y'all. That's my strength. That's my power. And let me tell you what, I could fall away from that tomorrow. I'm one good sloppy, greasy pizza from losing my resolve. And listen, in the kingdom of heaven, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's the perfect plan of God producing much fruit in your life and knowing that you're going to persevere to the end because of who he is. He will hold us fast. For my father loves me so. He will hold me fast and we will persevere. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is perfect with the ability to save us revive us and restore our souls I thank you that it is you that it is you God who keeps us I thank you that it is you that has saved us and I thank you that you are using us to sow your perfect seed in this imperfect world so that we might see your perfect kingdom come and your perfect will be done here on earth as it is in heaven God, help us to know it, help us to do it. And God, if there be those here this morning who are wrestling and wondering, am I really saved? God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, sow that seed in their heart and may it go down and find good, thick, rich, dark soil that springs up and remains and bears fruit. God, please help them to put their faith in the finished work of Jesus not their deadly doings and their trying to do better or try harder. God, may they put their faith in Jesus who has finished the work on the cross, bearing the penalty for our sins in his body, dying, being buried, resurrected on the third day, showing himself alive over the course of 40 days and then ascending into heaven where he is seated at your right hand now in a physical body awaiting the day that he comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth. May they put their faith in him. Save souls in this day, God, in this place. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed. Stay and eat soup and sandwiches with us if you can.